This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Devar Ardalan of Overheard, and this week we have something new for you the story of three climate change problem solvers in the city of Pittsburgh. Today's episode comes by way of storyteller Matt Scott of Project Drawdown. His reporting in the short documentary series Drawdown's Neighborhood amplifies the underrepresented voices often left out of climate solution stories. According to Pittsburgh's Department of City Planning, the Steel City is already experiencing the effects of climate change, including harsher winters, hotter summers, record-setting precipitation, and increased numbers of invasive species. Project Drawdown focuses on climate solutions, and recently they turned their attention to Pittsburgh, an American city determined to make climate solutions a reality. Here's Matt Scott. When you ask Pittsburgh residents where to visit when exploring the city, Mount Washington is one landmark that comes up time and time again, and it's no wonder why. The first time I visited was an overcast fall day, and my view overlooking the city was breathtaking. What jumped out most, believe it or not, were the bridges below me, as far as the eye could see, lining the Allegheny River. Right in front of me were the so-called Three Sisters, Roberto Clemente, Andy Warhol, and Rachel Carson, three Aztec gold suspension bridges connecting downtown Pittsburgh. I repeatedly lost count as my mind drifted off in awe of the proud city in front of me. Pittsburgh has nearly 450 bridges, more than any other city in the world, and most have been produced from local steel. While this history of manufacturing still defines much of the infrastructure of Pittsburgh and beyond, it also came at a cost. Smoke pollution due to burning coal, contaminated rivers due to sewage disposal and rampant boat traffic, and high mortality rates from typhoid fever. In the mid-20th century, Pittsburgh Mayor David Lawrence became a leader in the city's pursuit of clean air, improved health, and a better look overall. On this episode of Overheard, we'll journey through Pittsburgh and meet Pittsburgh climate heroes determined to turn one of America's greatest cities of the Industrial Revolution into one of the greenest of the information age. Key to their work? Including the Black communities, communities of color, immigrants, and other underrepresented groups often left out of the climate conversation, while unleashing their own climate superpowers in the process. How is Pittsburgh bridging the gap from a history that was so reliant on extractive industries, coal and steel, to a present and near future with climate mitigation and resilience at the forefront? More after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For so long the people have been pressed down The system got me wonder where to break down Sun up to sun down, working for my ransom Trying not to feel like I'm a let down But moving forward as I sway to That's Clara Katango performing her original song, Roots, while sitting in a tree nursery in Lawrenceville, just off the 62nd Street Bridge. Clara is program manager of the One Tree Per Child program at Tree Pittsburgh, an environmental nonprofit dedicated to restoring and protecting the urban forest through tree planting and care, education, advocacy, and land conservation. As a performing artist, tree tender, and educator, it's no wonder that Clara connects to climate solutions through her music. So as you can tell, a song is really about getting to like the root of the issues, things that really matter. The second verse actually goes like, No barriers they put up will ever block us. If we unite, there is no way they can stop us. United we will stand, divided we will fall. We got to find the rhythm as we sway. It's really about unity and I think when we learn more about trees, I learned recently that trees actually their roots are connected and in certain species they're literally communicating through even the little bacteria on the tree to to communicate if there's disease going on or if there's a tree has been damaged or if a tree is about to die just start sending all of its nutrients to the roots so it can spring out more you know other little trees around it so much to learn from the roots and from the roots of trees but literally from going to the root of a lot of the issues that we're dealing with as you might have guessed Clara combines her love of storytelling and music with her knowledge of trees each and every day. Tree plantations, particularly on degraded lands, are an important climate solution because, managed well, they can restore soil, sequester carbon, and produce wood resources in a more sustainable way. In general, trees also provide clean air and help us breathe, they cool streets in the city around us, and they make for a more habitable city. Recognizing the power of trees, the city of Pittsburgh's goal is to actively plant 780,000 more trees by 2030, which would increase the tree cover from about 40% to 60%. While Clara isn't a Pittsburgh native, it's her upbringing in Uganda that taught her the importance of trees and forests. Being in Uganda, it's like a tropical country, so we're like right on the equator, it's really warm, it's always rainy, but from those early ages we learned about deforestation and reforestation so i always knew when you have a a place that's deforested you're probably going to get a desert at some point Mm -hmm. or or when you bring trees into spaces you start changing how the the fabric of the space really looks like one of claire's role models is wangari mathai a kenyan social environmental and political activist and the first african woman to win the nobel peace prize mathai has been called the troublemaker who fought back with trees In receiving her master's degree from the University of Pittsburgh, Mathai paved the way for Clara, another young African woman working with trees in the Steel City. I learned about the Green Belt Movement, which uh, Wangari Mathai had started with, you know, poor women in, in Kenya 
really turning a place that had been basically like deforested to plant, to build houses, now turned into a forest. In founding the Greenbelt Movement, an environmental organization that empowers communities, particularly women, to conserve the environment and improve livelihoods, Mathai's legacy is one of connecting deeply with tree roots and her roots. While she passed away in 2011, her legacy lives on through people like Clara. The representation Wangari Mathai provided is so critical because, as Clara reflects, that representation has helped others find belonging. Part of finding the voice is really bringing your true and most authentic self to the space because then it allows people to come in their true and most authentic self in, into the space. I was like a black girl in Pittsburgh and most of the people who are working in this field were white men, older white men. So I instantly cut myself out of civil engineering literally just because I didn't see anyone who looked like me in that, in that field. Now, looking back, I'm like, nah, I probably will do it if I want to. Like, I'll find a way to do it. But at that time, I didn't have the tools to really be able to navigate kind of that reality. How did you realize that you could actually do something? Because one thing that I find is that a lot of the images that are about how horrible it is could feel really, like, disempowering and you feel hopeless looking at it. Like, what are we going to do? This is such a big problem that we have to address. We need to plant a lot of trees and do a lot of other things to actually do something. But how did you get to the point where you realized that you could actually do something about climate change? To be honest, sometimes it feels like a little drop in the bucket, like a really small little drop. But I think part of the reason why I even continue to do is part of my own personal beliefs that I practice Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And there's a concept of like oneness of self and environment. But then also you've heard about the butterfly effects, like things like that where it's like a small little thing that one person does, does have a ripple effect in, in certain aspects. So if I make your day, if I make you smile right now and you're feeling good, maybe you'll smile to somebody else and, you know, maybe somebody, yeah. you, you start a chain reaction like that. So that thought process of Buddhism allows me to center my mind a little bit because it does feel sometimes like, like, is really this, are these trees really making an impact? But they really are because when you look at it in a wave reaction, like this small thing is adding to a much bigger movement then I see, okay, I need to at least do something because to do nothing is, is not an option. Each day in her work at Tree Pittsburgh, Clara stresses the importance of climate action for the next generation. Trees, especially the, the, the older, much more mature trees, we know play a very big role in carbon sequestration, just pulling the carbon out of the air using even the roots sinking, you know, carbon in. So this we're doing is almost like a capital project for the future. Mm -hmm. You know how people do capital fundraisers? Planting these trees now is almost like banking on the future because we're going to only see these benefits like 10, 20, 30 years from now. So when we work with young, young kids, you're really giving them that perspective of seeing, wow, you are literally part of changing the fabric of what this city is going to look like in 20, 30 years from now. And your hands have a, a role in it. I asked Clara to reflect on lessons from her journey, particularly as someone who hasn't seen many people like her represented in the spaces she now occupies. Sometimes we don't know that we have a superpower. Yeah. I come into the U.S. with many layers, being an immigrant. On the surface, I'm African-American, but I'm really African. So there was like, where do I really fit in and how do I find my voice? in all of this space. Um, the truest thing for me is that the environment connects me to all of those experiences. And I think that's part of the journey of my own life is realizing, oh, actually because you're, an, you're born in Uganda, 
and you have this unique experience that is in itself a superpower because of the perspective that you're bringing to the table. Up next, another climate hero literally building the future of Pittsburgh while not losing sight of its past. More after the break. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. In 1950, a young photographer named Elliot Erwitt stepped off a Greyhound bus in Pittsburgh to document the Steel City's rebirth after World War II. Flipping through the photos published by National Geographic in 2017, I find it interesting that most of Erwitt's images of the Steel City aren't of its imposing steel buildings or marvelous bridges, but of its people, including its children. One image shows a young black child who is working as a shoeshine boy with a shirt in tatters. Others show children along Beeland Street, an area that was largely destroyed by landslides, a climate challenge Pittsburgh still navigates, just a decade later. Seeing these photos of Pittsburgh helps me appreciate how far things have come. It also begs the question, where do we go from here? How will photos of Pittsburgh, its buildings, and its people today compared with the Pittsburgh that local climate solutions heroes are working toward? If Erica Cochran Hameen has anything to say about it, the future will build upon Pittsburgh's storied past rather than start entirely from scratch. Erica is professor and architectural designer specializing in building retrofits, which address electricity and fuel waste with better insulation and windows, efficient lighting, and advanced heating and cooling systems. One of the most sustainable things we can do in the world, instead of building a new building, is retrofit what we have. Taking an existing building and making changes to it so that it operates better. And when I say better, it means that it should, the people should be more comfortable, our occupant satisfaction should go up, we should make decisions that are going to help people be healthier and more productive, and we should save energy. And so it's a, it's a win-win-win all across the board. For Erica, who's the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Carnegie Mellon University's School of Architecture and the co-director of their Center for Building Performance and Diagnostics, that means putting equity first. Erica researches sustainable and equitable design, energy efficiency, and social justice issues as it relates to our built environment. Many of the insights she uses to make an impact in Pittsburgh were sparked during her time in New York. So I was working in New York and I was doing a lot of building renovations and retrofits, especially um, public sector work. And one of the things that for me was just very eye-opening was seeing differences in education and the school system. And I'd go to one neighborhood and the schools were beautiful. And then I'd go to another neighborhood and things were just falling apart. And sometimes, unfortunately, the difference in the two neighborhoods was about wealth and income or immigrant status. 
And I thought, well, this isn't right. Just because they're brown or black or because they're not from America or they, you know, a low-income neighborhood, why don't they get a good school? It's still the same city. It's still, we're all using our public tax dollars to educate them. So why don't they have the same thing? Often, when we think of buildings, climate change and equity aren't top of mind. We know that buildings are responsible for 81% of Pittsburgh's greenhouse gas emissions. Homes alone account for a quarter of the city's emissions. After all, the majority of Pittsburgh's homes were built before 1960, before energy efficiency standards were in place. To combat this, the city of Pittsburgh has a goal to ensure all new buildings are carbon neutral and to mitigate high energy burdens on vulnerable communities, a step toward a sustainable and equitable future. There's a long way to go to achieve equity, but Erica started talking about it more than a decade ago and doesn't plan on stopping now. I thought, well, I can do something about that. I'm a designer. I can solve this problem. I always think I can solve a problem. <laughs> Whenever I see a problem, I can fix that. So. Erica got to work. I said, okay, my background on these New York City schools, I'm going to study and use my, my numbers knowledge because I'm really good at statistics. And I'm going to say, maybe all the environmental conditions that are out there, and I identified 185 environmental and physical conditions, and compared each of these 185 conditions against the 125 schools that all had similar percentages of children whose parents had similar income, similar percentage of black and Hispanic. The only difference is your built environment that you're in. And I'm gonna show how with statistics that what we do as architects and engineers matter and it affects test scores and absenteeism and weight and obesity and health and, and, and your academic performance. Yeah, this is so powerful. And the thing that I'm wondering is what was the status quo, especially as you started your work, what was the status quo in the architecture field? Like, were other people thinking about equity and all of these other issues, or was that something you found that you were kind of bringing into the conversation? I think some people were starting to, were having that conversation. I don't think it was as big as it is now. Mm -hmm. With a lot of the in-your-face inequities that have been caught on tape recently, people are beginning to ask more and more questions, which I'm glad they're asking questions. I regret that it happened, that all these horrible things had to happen for, it to, for this to bubble up. But the inequities of police brutality, the inequities of people not having access to clean air yeah. and clean water and a quality education, the inequities we've seen with the pandemic that everyone, when they said everyone stay home, there was such a difference in the quality of your stay home education that everyone faced. And so because of all of that, now people are talking about it more. Mm -hmm. When I started talking about this like 10 to 20 years ago, it wasn't as many, I don't think as many people were involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy that the issues of, of equity and understanding the connection between climate change and equity, I'm happy that people are understanding that they go together. Mm -hmm. you, you know, when people say, I care about sustainability, I care about climate change, you can't do that and not care about equity. Mm -hmm. they, they, they just have to go together in the same conversation. 
Part of Erica's vision for the future is to end energy poverty, the lack of access to affordable, reliable, modern energy services and products. Pittsburgh has the second highest energy poverty rate for African Americans of any city in America. I, I want to change that. I want that it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. It shouldn't matter what country you're from. It shouldn't matter your religion. You should be able to go home to a house that is comfortable in the summer and in the winter. That no matter what country you're living in, you should live someplace where you can breathe, where you're not having heat stroke because it's so hot due to climate change and we have global warming, or you're worried about flooding because of rising sea levels, that we have new solutions and you were able to use those. And you could go to school regardless of where you're from and get a quality education. That you will be in a building that is healthy. You don't have high teacher turnover rates. And you have a playground for children. <laughs> that you have a school with access to playgrounds. It's, I think if we can just provide equity in housing and education, so much would change. Because education gives you those tools to make things better. If we start giving people those tools at a young age, then when they become adults, you can do anything. Steel bridges have defined the infrastructure of Pittsburgh, beginning with 1883's Smithfield Street Bridge, the oldest steel bridge in the United States. As I stood atop Mount Washington, a climate solutions storyteller in a city once known for its innovative yet emissions-intensive industry, I couldn't help but think of more metaphorical bridges. After all, Pittsburgh was the industrial center for a growing country, and that comes with a lot of baggage. Old nicknames like the Smoky City are a reflection of that, and yet today, Pittsburgh functions as a leader in implementing climate solutions. In order to understand that drastic evolution, I sat down with one of the people who knows it best. So like a lot of families in the Pittsburgh area, my family definitely has a past of working in coal and steel. And they began that time in central Pennsylvania in the coal mines. That's Sarah Lexak, a third-generation Pittsburgher and someone closely tied to Pittsburgh's legacy as an industrial center built by blue-collar workers. So most of my family was from Slovakia, and they immigrated to the U.S. for a better life, like so many people do. And after working in the coal mines, my great-grandfather said that he wanted an even better life for his children. So he moved the family to Pittsburgh so that they could work in the steel mills. And that's what my grandfather did. And it's what my father had a career in steel as well. That's why it's so notable that today, Sarah is the Senior Manager of Transportation Electrification at Duquesne Light Company, the electric distribution company serving Southwest Pennsylvania. Sarah's career in electric vehicles puts her ancestors' innovative spirit to use in new ways, this time building toward a world that achieves drawdown, the future point in time when greenhouse gases stop climbing and start to steadily decline. So as of 2019, transportation accounts for the largest share of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. 
So when we think about areas that we need to work on to chip away those greenhouse gas emissions, transportation is a huge area. And so that's what I've devoted my career to. What makes the work Sarah does so critical is that the majority of the world's emissions result from transportation, electricity generation, and other forms of energy production and use. Considering her family's history in steel and coal, I wondered, why did Sarah decide that she would help lead the shift? While I was at school, I took a class called Environmental Ethics. And I think that that was one of the first classes for me that sort of like the light bulb went off. This is the subset of philosophy that says, you know, what is humankind's moral obligation for protecting the environment and how we look at preserving our natural resources? While Sarah worked with the U.S. Department of Energy from the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s, it's her roots and belief in the people of Pittsburgh that led her to be the change that Pittsburgh needs. I think that Pittsburgh is a place where we really, really embrace our past and what got us to where we are. We have so many advances that have been made here in energy, in manufacturing, in the steel industry, and in so much more. And the evolution of our local industry and the people who are making things happen here. So many players doing so many really exciting things. Thanks for listening. For this edition of National Geographic's Overheard, this is Matt Scott of Drawdown's Neighborhood with support from filmmaker Eric Dowds. If you like what you hear and want to support more content like this, please rate and review us in your podcast app and consider a National Geographic subscription. That's the best way to support Overheard. Go to natgeo.com slash explore to subscribe. To learn more about Project Drawdown, visit drawdown.org. This week's Overheard episode is produced by Carla Wills, Manager of Audio. Our producers are Kari Douglas, Alana Strauss, and Marcy Thompson. Our senior producers are Jacob Pinter and Brian Gutierrez. Our senior editor is Eli Chen. Our fact checkers are Robin Palmer and Julie Beer. Our photo editor is Julie Howe. Hansdale Sue sound designed this episode and composed our theme music. This podcast is a production of National Geographic Partners. Whitney Johnson is the director of visuals and immersive experiences. David Brindley is National Geographic's interim editor-in-chief. And I'm Devar Ardalan. Thanks for listening and see you all next time.